Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. All of us are familiar with the experience of shame. Uh, right from the start of our lives, we know what it means to feel embarrassed or ashamed. Uh, we hide our faces or we blush. We put our heads in a pillow. We go quiet. Shame is a relationship thing. It's not simply a feeling of guilt of knowing that something is wrong. It's the feeling we get when others find out that we've done something wrong. It's the social consequence of making mistakes, intentional or unintentional. It comes from how other people see us. It's a relationship thing. So we drop a glass by accident and it breaks and we feel shame. We bump into our brother and knock him over and we feel shame. We trip up over our shoelaces and we feel shame. Conversely, we all know what it is to feel honour. Honour is not simply the feeling we get when we do something right. It's the feeling we get when others find out we have done something right. It's the social consequence of doing good things. Intentional or unintentional. It comes from how other people see us. It's a relationship thing. So we finish our peace and we are praised and we feel honour. Uh, we give our brother a kiss on the forehead after he's fallen down and we are praised and we feel honour. 
We catch a ball and we are praised and we feel honour. We succeed in a maths test and get a star and we feel honour. From the very start, uh, life is about honour and shame. And it stays this way all the way through our lives. We are hardwired, it seems, to seek both honour and hardwired to avoid shame. You might say that the whole of the history of the world, um, the story of humans, is a search for honour. And that's what our politics are about. It's what our economics or journalism or our architecture, like the Shard or St Paul's, is all about. It's what our culture of celebrity is all about, or our attraction to sport, or the plotline of most of the films that we enjoy. The truth is that much of our lives is a search for honour. Honour lies behind the hunger for good SATs, uh, good SAT results, uh, both for teachers and for students. It lies behind sports trophies, and behind acting accolades, behind music grades, behind driving test successes, behind which clothes we wear. The search for honour is the reason so much makeup is sold in the world, why our parents care so much about which university we go to, or why we care which job we do, and what car we drive, or how our home looks, and who we go out with, and who we marry, and if we get a promotion or not. Life is a hunt for honour and a flight from shame. When we're young, we, we fear shame. That comes along from being called a name, uh, or having the wrong shoes, or forgetting our gym bag, or singing the wrong note, or letting in a goal. When we're a bit older, we feel the shame of exam failure, or a performance review, or making a mistake, or forgetting an appointment. We carry shame and honour around in us all the time, in our accents, our bodies, our hair or lack of it, our leadership ability, our use of money. And there is a reason why we feel the way we do when someone comes to the door when we're not ready. Shame is what we feel when we go to the dentist and honour is what we feel when we go out to a restaurant. Even the places where we live carry honour and shame significance. There's a place called Rygate and a place called Red Hill. All around us, we are on the lookout for honour and shame every day, even on Zoom. We all long for honour and we all fear shame. Which is not surprising because this is exactly how we are made. Right at the beginning of our series, right at the start of it, uh, we found out that Adam and Eve were created for honour. Psalm 8 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet. Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As we reflected at the start of our covenant story together, Adam and Eve, uh, representing all of us, were honoured as rulers of this beautiful gift of an earth that we have been given. And they were supposed to honour God with their lives and their trust. But instead, they dishonoured God and they sought honour without him, outside of him, 
and shame entered the story, and they hid. They sought honour on the cheap, and it ended in shame. Seeking honour, as Psalm 8 suggests, is not a bad thing. It's a human thing. It's what we're designed to carry. But there is a difference between gaining honour in good ways and bad ways. There's a reason why people cheat in sport and why you need a referee. There's a reason why politicians lie. Sometimes in our search for honour, we do shameful things to get there. And the worst thing is to get caught. Uh, My primary school had a system of uh, honour and shame. They would give good points and bad points. Uh, It was a simple system of honour and shame and it, and it, uh, it made me want to get good points. The teacher would ask us uh, for our little brown books, which were marked out with little squares in them. And uh, you could write in the corner of the square uh, a one or a two, depending on how many marks they wanted to give you, and their initials underneath. And there was a line half- halfway across the page. Um, so above the line were good marks and below the line were bad marks. And at the end of each week, uh, we counted them up. And they were added together with everybody else's scores uh, in our different houses. And there was a house total which was proclaimed. So good marks counted and so did bad ones. Uh, Honour came from good marks and shame came from bad marks. Like everyone else, I wanted honour. And so my hand would rise in an attempt to answer the question. And I try hard to do things well. And then I thought I could maybe gain honour without the hard work. Why not just fill in some of the squares myself? Get a biro the same colour as my uh, member of staff. Why not forge some good marks? How difficult could it be just to write a number and then copy a squiggle of initials? Well, as it turns out, it's not that easy. It wasn't just that I felt guilty doing it, it's that my practice attempts were way better than the moment when I actually put pen to paper. I looked at my handiwork and I knew that the initials looked false. I was bound to be found out. I felt guilty, but more accurately, I felt shame, preemptive shame, as I imagined being caught out. The embarrassment in front of the whole class as the teacher exposed my shameful behaviour. It came to the end of the week and I hid the book from my parents and on the day of the count I ripped that page out, losing all the good points that I had earned earlier that week. I was seeking honour on the cheap and it led to sin and ultimately shame. I guess we all know this feeling of shame. It's quite a strong feeling. Sin and shame are linked. Sin is the action, shame is the effect. We sin when we dishonour God and we bring shame to his name. We sin when we dishonour our true calling as God's image bearers and bring shame on ourselves. We avoid sin to avoid shame. We need forgiveness for sin so that we can have our shame taken away. Perhaps you could say that we don't have a sin problem as much as you might say we have a shame problem. Now, I haven't shared my gravest sins with you. I'm too ashamed to share those with you. But it turns out that there's a pattern of scripture which we have been noticing again and again and all the way through this covenant story. God honours his people. He picks them out 
and he gives them a specific calling and purpose. And he marks them out and honours them to be a blessing for all nations. He brands them. He honours them with his name. And he gives them his promise, his covenant. He makes a covenant with them. They will be his people and he will be their God. But as we read, the people dishonour God, bringing shame upon God and upon his name and shame upon themselves. So time and time again, God's people who have been given honour repeatedly end up in shame. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon. The list goes on and on. This is the storyline, the story shape of God's people. They are honoured and they descend into shame. And even last week, as Nigel was sharing with us, Solomon was praying uh, in the temple and we could see where things were heading. And uh, let's just have a look again at that passage from 2 Chronicles 7. God says, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. If you walk before me faithfully, as David, your father, did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne. This is a a declaration of of honour. As I covenanted with David, your father, when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands that I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them. And I will reject this temple, which I have consecrated for my name. You can see how God associates uh, the people with his own identity, with his own character, with his own name, his own reputation. I will make it a byword, the temple, a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this temple, this land and this temple? And people will answer because they have forsaken the Lord, our God, uh, the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshipping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them. And that's exactly what happened. Solomon and his people dishonour Yahweh and worship other gods. They shame God's name. They sin. Which brings us to Isaiah, the Bible's most significant prophet. God's prophets are God's messengers uh, sent to point out people's sin and they were sent to name the shame and call people back to God. Uh, This is a hard task because they had to deliver some hard messages. Who wants to be the deliverer of news about shame? Like a doctor diagnosing cancer, they had to be ruthlessly honest. But Isaiah sends, uh, Yahweh sends Isaiah to say, enough is enough. I'm going to act. You have dishonoured me. You've broken my commands. You've turned to idols and foreign gods and injustice and oppression has become the norm. So I'm sending you Isaiah to explain what's going to happen. God is going to deal with uh, Israel's sin, restore his honour, purify his people and remove their shame. But just like silver is purified in a furnace, this cleansing will come with fire. Now, the book of Isaiah is a complex story, though. It ebbs and it flows and it's not all bad news 
But after 40 chapters of pretty serious rebuke, um, despite small signs of hope tucked away in the small print, God's shame-cleansing plan comes into view. And there are four songs uh, in the last part of Isaiah uh, which are called the servant songs. Chapter 42, 49, 50 and 53. And they paint a picture bit by bit of someone who Isaiah calls the servant. The servant is not a title of honour, but this servant will come to deliver God's people and carry their shame. He will take the rap for their sin. It's a shocking and surprising solution as it will come through sacrifice and suffering, even death as the suffering servant is shamed on their behalf, carrying their sin, bearing their iniquity. For the last 2,000 years, ever since that walk to Emmaus on Resurrection Sunday, followers of Jesus uh, believe they know exactly who this refers to, who this servant is. The early songs tell us that the servant, what the servant will be like. He tells about his character, his power, his determination, his authority, And ultimately his humility. But it's the fourth song that is the most remarkable. And I recommend that perhaps many of us take it away again after this service and reflect on it more. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the... ...root out of dry ground? He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him... Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. As I read those words, what do you see? What image comes with those words? Do you see Jesus like I do, beaten and spat on? Stripped naked, flogged, carrying a cross, humiliated, lifted up and exposed. When we read these words and superimpose the image of crucifixion on them, the words take on a whole new meaning. Now Isaiah couldn't have known uh, over 700 years before Jesus how these words would find their fulfilment, but almost every part Every, ver- every part of every verse uh, in Isaiah 53 is quoted in the New Testament somewhere relating it to Jesus. Someone once called uh, this chapter the fifth gospel because it so powerfully summarises the meaning of Jesus's mission in just one chapter. But can you see the shame words that apply to Jesus? A tender shoot, a root out of dry ground. No beauty or majesty, unattractive, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Despised and rejected, a man of suffering, like one who, from whom people hide their faces. Despised, held in low esteem. What we see in Jesus is someone who doesn't run away from shame. He runs towards it. He runs to pick it up. He bears it all. He goes on, surely he took up our pain 
and bore our suffering, although we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The shame we deserve is laid on him, carried by him, and the honour that he deserves is given to us. And then the central verse of this passage, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our, our, our own way. But Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Incredible grace, isn't it? This undeserved gift. Amazing grace. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. servant is utterly scorned. His shame is complete. He takes it all. He's taken away. He's cut off. He's punished. But then from verse 10, the passage moves beyond shame to honour. This shame is not the end of things. Having carried the shame and bear or borne the punishment of our, on our behalf, the servant will be vindicated. His sacrifice, his offering is not the end. Verse 10 says, yet it was the will's Lord to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils among the strong because he has poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. The last verses uh, at the end of chapter 52, which we didn't read today, actually summarise the journey of honour and shame so well. Just as the blood of the lamb cleanses the tabernacle that we thought about several weeks ago, so the servant will sprinkle or cleanse many nations. And so he will be honoured and highly exalted. Many nations and kings will begin to understand this crazy story. 
See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Imagine the flogging, the beating and the crucifixion. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him, stand in awe of him. For what they are not told, they will then see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. I wonder what you have understood today, or what we have understood today, even just from this short reflection on this passage. I focused in on shame. And the reason for that is because we have been designed for glory, to display God's glory and his honour. But instead, we bring shame upon ourselves, like Israel before us, as we seek honour from elsewhere. Sin and shame are linked, and shame sticks to us. It sticks to us as children And it carries on all the way through our lives. And very often we carry it all the way through to our last days. Shame needs dealing with. It needs cleansing. It needs taking away. It needs bearing and carrying. God's humble servant takes on our shame so we can be freed. So we can be reconciled. So we can come to peace. And so we can be healed. Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Scorning its shame. Scorning its shame. And then sat down at the right hand side of God. Despite the pain. Despite the suffering. It was joy that held Jesus there because he knew his death would set us free. He knew his sacrifice would wash us clean. He knew that he was taking away our shame. Just take a moment together, wherever we are, uh, to contemplate that gift, that sacrifice, that offer. Let's receive it again. Maybe you'd like to close your eyes with me and pray before we sing a song to help us to reflect. God's grace is sufficient for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. By his stripes, we are healed. Let's receive this healing once again. Holy Spirit, as you speak through these words once again to us, would you come? 
Reveal to us the way that we have dishonoured you in a thousand ways. Speak to our hearts about the shame that we carry. As we look at Jesus on the cross, we receive his freedom, his honour, his forgiveness, his cleansing, his healing. Let's take a moment using this song as we sing together to receive all that God has to give us. Your grace is enough.